podcast idea, uh, the power of stories that people don't see. So not just their ability to influence others, but also the stories that we tell ourselves and the fact that you know, stories might actually be all we are. I mean, even this podcast isn't actually a podcast. It's, it's just the merging of two life stories that came together to create a new story. And now we tell more stories. Whoa. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. In the last few years, there's been an increased buzz around storytelling. Headlines like storytelling will be the biggest business skill of the next five years, and claims that the highest paid person in the first half of this century will be the storyteller. Now, let me preface this by saying I am a huge believer in the power of story. And as you'll see through this episode, in many ways, they rule the day. That said, I do find it a bit amusing when people talk about this thing that's built into our DNA, which has shaped cultures, religions, and whole civilizations as if it's the newest craze. I mean, even in business, the understanding of its power is not even remotely new. It's not called the wheel. It's called the carousel. Let's just travel the way a child travels. Round and around, back home again. To a place where we know we are loved. But I am encouraged by the attention that storytelling is getting lately, as it is a strong force in our lives. Not only do stories carry the power to influence and move others to our will, they are perhaps the answer to the age-old question, who am I? August 26th, I think, 2014. I've been an explorer since I can remember. For the past 10 years, I've been helping individuals and some of the biggest companies in the world be better versions of themselves. I'm good at it. I'm often great at it. But man, right now I'm lost. This year's just been tough. Creatively, financially, emotionally, physically. I'm, I'm a wreck. I have this burning desire to get my voice out in the world in a way that's meaningful and impactful and authentic, and I... I just don't know how to do it. And I'm exhausted. And I'm running out of runway. So what makes stories so powerful? Well, simply put, emotion. That is what makes them more memorable and actionable. When you give facts, people only need to use the logical parts of their brain. But a story? It requires the listener to use much more. Scientifically, stories actually change the way our brains work. They literally transform our brain chemistry. A moving story will often follow the dramatic arc, meaning it will have background, rising action, a climax, falling action, and a resolution. In the front end of that story, there will likely be struggle, distress. And as we listen to it, two chemicals are released in our brain, cortisol and oxytocin. With cortisol, so the more distress you felt, the more cortisol you released, and the more you paid attention to that stimulus. Now oxytocin, that's the real powerful drug here. 
Associated with care and connection, the more of it that is released, the more empathic we feel towards the protagonist in the story. The amount of oxytocin released will directly reflect how much behavior change is exhibited in the listener, how much more likely they are to take whatever action it is that you want them to take, to help you, to say yes. What we're seeing is that this narrative is changing behavior by changing our brain chemistry. The book Influencer is a great reference in the field of change. It discusses the means we use to change the minds of others in a spectrum from least effective to most effective. Here is one of its authors, David Maxfield, talking There's about the least effective we method. We try to influence people using lectures, sermons, and data dumps. We try PowerPointing and pencil whipping. We try what psychologists call verbal persuasion. But the bottom line is, verbal persuasion just isn't very persuasive. This is basically telling people what to do and all the reasons why you think they should do it. And when people listen to that stuff, if they listen, it only activates the two parts of their brains linked to processing language. That's it. Our brains translate the words and says, yep, that means this and that means that. And it's really about as exciting as listening to an audible version of the dictionary. Abbas, the lady superior of a nunnery. Abbey, the group of buildings which collectively form the dwelling place of a society of monks or nuns. Abbot, the superior of a community of monks. Abdicate, to give up royal power or the like. Abdomen. At the other end of the spectrum is what they call the great persuader. And that is personal experience. Now, most of you can probably think of a time you were given advice, often by someone more senior, aka more experienced than you, and you ignored it. You thought, well, it won't be like that for me. And then lo and behold, life took you to school. And suddenly you believed what they told you because now it had happened to you. In life and business, we can construct strategies that give others experiences that will impact them. In the book, they sometimes refer to these as field trips. And perhaps there has been no more persuasive a field trip than an example they give, the 1978 documentary, Scared Straight. The original film follows 17 teenage lawbreakers who are taken inside of Rawway, New Jersey's maximum security prison. In a raw confrontation, a group of hardened convicts called the Lifers tried to literally scare the kids into going straight. Do you wake up in the morning and think about maybe I'll be killed today? Or that maybe a guy like me will break your face for you, huh? No. When I wake up in the morning, I think about that. Is that paranoia? Yeah. For you, it's paranoia. For me, it's a reality. This is prison. But what about when you don't have a maximum security prison handy, or you need to shift something fast and you don't have time or the means to create an actual experience? Well, there's good news for you. Because light years away from ineffective verbal persuasion, and actually relatively close on the spectrum to personal experience, is what they call a vicarious experience, which in essence is a story. Remember, stories are powerful because they transport us into other people's worlds, but in doing that, they change the way our brains work and potentially change our brain chemistry. When we are being told a story, not only are the language processing parts in our brain activated, but any other area in the brain that we would use when actually experiencing the events of the story are activated too. 
So going back to Scared Straight, a teenager watching that movie in the comfort of his or her own home, if they are engaged, will experience a portion of the same fear as those kids in the movie. The same circuits in their brain that would be fired if they were in the prison are fired watching the movie. In studies analyzing this, brains of participants were scanned as they read sentences like John grasped the object or Pablo kicked the ball. And the scans revealed activity in the motor cortex, which coordinates the body's movements. If you were being told a story about an incredible meal someone had, the sensory cortex in your brain will light up. A story can put the whole brain of your listener to work. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> Which means that if you can get great at storytelling, anything you've experienced, you can get others to experience. November 14th, 2014. Hello. Why am I making videos when I love podcasts? And it's got to be where there's smoke. That's me. That will allow me to bring my full expression, to educate and entertain. All right, to do tomorrow, put up an ad on Elance for an audio engineer. Um, write something like, must be Radiolab fan, things like American, This American Life, startup with a fun, cool vibe a la The Daily Show. Of course, if I find this person, I have zero money to invest in this right now, but uh, we'll leave that out of the ad and... Uh, Let's see if he or she exists and we'll worry about the rest later. So stories help us to move others, to influence them to action, to inspire them. But it turns out that is the most second impactful thing stories can do. Because the first is that stories actually create our lives. They are the answer to the age-old question of who am I? The theory of narrative identity asserts that we form our identity by integrating our life experiences into an internalized, evolving story of self. And this story provides us with a sense of unity and purpose in life. And the psychology of it goes one step further to suggest that how well we do this actually dictates our success in life. We use our stories to create the meaning that exists in our life. Therefore, stories are an evolutionary mechanism. That is, if I'm standing next to my roommate Gronk, I've got a story um, that gives meaning to my life and Gronk doesn't. I'm more likely to work harder and to try to survive by virtue of having created that story that creates the meaning in my life. December <laughs> uh, 20-something, 2014, and feeling insanely grateful today. I mean, the amount of serendipity in action in the last four weeks is insane. Now, after I posted that ad for an audio engineer, I happened to hear another podcast which had crazy high production values. It turns out that guy who produced it, Nick, had also applied for my Elance job. We had a conversation, we did a test run, and it's, it's been like harmony on a great record. I mean, just a true collaboration. I still can't afford to pay him moving forward, but get this he's coming to the bay area for a few months to work on a project and he has no place to stay so we're going to figure something out and all i know for sure is where there's smoke will launch next month
John Holmes, a psychology professor at Waterloo University, said, Storytelling isn't just how we construct our identities. Stories are our identities. And we as human beings are really good at a lot of things. One of the things we're masters at is being right. And for better or worse, we can be right about pretty much anything. Holmes went on to say, Stories shape memory so dramatically, once you tell a story, it's hard to get out of that story's framework, and they tend to get more dramatic over time. Otherwise said, once you tell yourself a story, you can get stuck in it, again, for better or worse, and we experience both. The power of narrative isn't always a positive thing. Let's use romantic relationships as an example. When you first meet someone and you like them, you create stories about them that support your desire for them to be who you want them to be. They give you a sliver of who they are and you make a two by four out of it. Heck, some people, they build an arc. And unfortunately, often those stories are false. And as time passes, we start to think, well, they're just not who I thought they were. <laughs> well, yeah, because you made it up. And so then we start to create different kinds of stories, ones that support our new desire, which is to end the relationship. And no matter how trivial, we make them meaningful. She had man hands. He's a regifter. She's got the Jimmy leg. He's poor. He's one of these low talkers. You know, because he's a high talker. She eats her peas one at a time. And we don't just do this in romantic relationships. I'll let you translate this concept to friendships, business, life. And don't forget to pay attention to how you do it to yourself. We let ourselves buy stories that aren't serving us. We let the world convince us that we are less than. And as we continually come across evidence that doesn't fit that story, we ignore it. We leave it behind. See, we don't just tell stories. Stories tell us. They shape our thoughts and memories, and they even change how we live our lives. But that is great news. If you were to ask Siri, a.k.a. Samantha, she would tell you that... The past is just a story we tell ourselves. And I will tell you that so is the future. You get to write the story of your life. See, nothing has any meaning until we give it a meaning. And so while you can't always control what happens to you, you do always control the story, the meaning you make up about it. And those stories become who we are. You know, it kind of reminds me of the chicken and the egg debate. What did happen first? Did the chicken make up a story that it used to be an egg? Or did the egg make up a story that someday it would be a chicken? Well, if I had the answer to that question, I'd probably also know why he crossed the road. And if I knew that, there wouldn't be anything more to explore. And what fun would that be? So now, Nick lives in my spare room, slash office, slash studio, where we produce Where There's Smoke every week. We sit almost back-to-back, -back, crafting each show, committed to making something great. And right now, that is its success. That we are both loving making it, and that you out there are loving listening to it. You know, this story started as most success stories do, in a place of breakdown. And personally, I'm pretty excited to see where it goes next. And the only thing I know for sure is that we're all writing it together.
think the interview in this episode is perhaps the best we've done so far in really continuing to dig into a topic and give you actionable insights and tools. My guest is Ty Bennett. Ty did more before he was 30 years old than many do in their whole lives. He built and sold a multi-million dollar global business. He wrote several books, became a renowned keynote speaker, and he's also the father of four kids, ages eight, six, four, and 18 months. So (laughs) he's been busy. And while Ty speaks on many topics, one of his first books was on the topic of storytelling, and it is a skill he often refers to. I asked him, how did that become such a hub for you? You know, for me, it really stemmed from as I, we started our business, I was 21, my brother was 22, so very inexperienced and young and trying to get people to take me seriously. I was struggling to get people to take action on my ideas or to buy my product or to really respond. And so I, I started to dive into it more. And one of the things that I did that was extremely helpful for me is that I started to record every presentation that I gave. <laughs> and that, that is eye-opening, first <laughs> off. Um, it was shocking to me how bad I sounded and and how inarticulate I was. And as I started to work on it, I kept recording myself. And at some point, I asked myself the question, What I, I listened kind of from the audience point of view, and I said, what is it that causes people to engage with me? When they laugh, when they engage, when they ask questions, when they seem to respond, what am I doing? And it inevitably always came back to storytelling. It was when I was telling stories that I got people to really connect with me and to take action on my ideas and to buy into what I was saying. And so it became a pursuit for me to try and study it and perfect it and become better at it and uh, has helped me in immense ways to get people to really hear my message. Right on. And so when that happened, uh, and knowing you again, you even said it, it got you to not only pay attention to it, but to study it. So you recognize that people are responding to you more greatly when you tell stories, which I'm sure A tells you, man, I should probably tell more stories and I should probably get better at them. But then when you started studying this, because I know now you teach it, what did you discover? Why is it that, you know, people respond so much more when we tell stories? I think the simplest answer, I think there's multiple facets to this, but the simplest answer is that we are emotional beings and stories engage people emotionally, right? We buy based on emotion. We take action based on emotion. And I find it crazy how often I see experts out there teaching us to communicate logically. Now, obviously, it needs to be logical, but if I want you to take action on what I'm sharing, if I can engage you emotionally, I move you in a way that is totally different than logic. Right. And and so in this process then of you know, telling these um, emotional stories, as you started to dig deeper, did you start to discover that, you know, certain things work better than other things? Or, you know, when you started to hone your craft, let's say, what did you find were, were some of the key things in being maybe maybe going from a good storyteller to a great one? Yeah, I think there's several things. Um One of the biggest keys is that every story, every influential story follows a natural process. And it's it's just a simple struggle to solution model in essence. So the struggle is the hook of the story. The solution is the help of the story, right? The struggle is what people relate to. The solution is gives it credibility and gives people a path to follow. And I think often we tell stories, especially in business, where we come from it just from a solution standpoint. And so if we don't engage people emotionally with the struggle where they relate or they see the reason why this solution would be important to them, whether that be a product, your services working with you, you as the solution, whatever it may be, 
that model of struggle to solution really moves people in a big way. I mean, think about like if you and I were to go to a movie today and we sat down and we're watching this movie and it's about a guy who just merrily skips through life. No ups, no downs. Everything's perfect. Everything's amazing. We would leave and think that was the stupidest movie I've ever seen, right? I mean, there's nothing relatable to it, nothing that engages us emotionally. So that struggle to solution became really, really clear to me and helped me to get have a framework for how to craft a great story. Now, in that story, this is something that I heard uh, a couple of years ago from uh, an, you know another speaker who was talking about storytelling and and I've actually you know tested this and found that it really makes sense. One of the things I think sometimes people are tempted to do is they think to themselves, well, if I'm going to tell a story that everyone is going to relate to, then I have to tell a really general story. Mm-hmm. You know that because if I, if it's too specific, it's like well, when I had my third child, this is what happened, and they don't have kids, they're not going to relate. And what I remember this, you know, this coach telling me years ago was that actually it's the opposite. The more specific, the better. And really, the way that I translated that is that people aren't actually they're not moved by the details of your story. They're moved by the underlying, as you said, the underlying emotions or, you know, they're, re- they're relating to it, maybe not exactly based on the same specifics, but on the same emotions. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that, I like how you said that, that they're relating based on the same emotions because often that's the case. Um, there's a great book called The Story Factor by Annette Simmons. And she said in there, one, one thing that stood out, that speaks to this, she said the counterintuitive secret to effective stories is that the more specific the details, the more universal the applications. Hmm. And it's in those details that it becomes vivid, that it becomes compelling, that it becomes memorable, right? And so as we dive into it, you're right, I may tell a story and it's funny what people relate to. (laughs) If If I were to tell a story to a group of people and we were to, this would be an interesting experiment, I think. If we were to ask them what it made them think about, you would get answers across the board, right? You, they would go, oh, it just totally related because of this. And somebody sitting next to them would be like, well, that was not what I got out of. I got this out of it, right? And I think you're right. Sometimes it's the underlying emotions. Sometimes they've been through a similar experience. Sometimes they, it causes them to think about somebody else and their experience. And so I don't think, obviously catering to your audience is important, but if you're especially talking to a large group, you can't do that in every single thing that you say. Uh, The other side of that coin is that the more personal it is, the more powerful it becomes because you share that passion in that story as well. Right, right. And actually, that that makes me think of something else. I I remember reading this. I I either read it or it might have been in a video he did, but uh, Peter Guber, who wrote you know a book called Tell to Win, which is also a great book on storytelling. I remember him talking about this idea that when you're telling a story, it's actually putting you into state, right? And so Mm -hmm. I would I would imagine, let's say I'm telling the story. The more detailed I'm telling the story, the more real the story is for me, which is probably putting me in a more authentic state, meaning that, that that's true, right? That people yeah. are, whereas if I try to generalize it, then I might even lose the connection to it, I would think. Yeah, you can tell when somebody really, what I always teach people is that you don't retell a story, you relive a story. Oh, that's great. Right. So when you relive a story, it, for me as the storyteller, I'm reliving it. And so the emotions and, and the passion and all that comes through. And you as the story listener, you're reliving it with me, which means that you can experience the emotions and experiences and have that emotional connection, which causes it to be influential. Right. So when you're, you're going, I know you go into companies and you do keynotes and you're constantly talking to, uh, you know, businesses. 
again, it, we can say, okay, you know, tell more stories and this is the power of telling stories. But if people come to you and they're like, well, I want to be a better storyteller or, or, okay, how do I do that? Where do you usually start? What's kind of the first few things you're, you're sharing with people on, on where to get started to be better at this or to even do this? Well, it, just like anything else, I think it needs to be something that you study. And so, you know, most of the people that I work with, I have them go through my book, The Power of Storytelling as well. So it's something that they study and it's something that they practice, right? Studying, you could read my book and you could get the science of it, but the art comes in the practicing of it. So just the sheer recognition that you want to add stories and you want to use stories to validate your points, to introduce your points, to help you to handle objections, to help to paint a picture or vision, whatever that case may be, then you, you start out and start to figure out what those stories are. More often, I'm speaking to, on storytelling, larger sales organizations or sometimes groups of leaders who are going to use storytelling to kind of paint a picture and to get people to engage around a vision. Uh, but quite often, I'm working with salespeople, uh, whether that be you know traditional sales, financial advisors, whoever it may be. And so one of the things I want them to recognize is that the point of them sitting in front of somebody and giving a presentation is not to be perfect, right? Perfection is what we typically go into. The point is to make a connection with the person you're sitting with. And so if you understand that that's truly your purpose is to make a connection with the people in front of you, then you understand that stories are a very, very impactful thing and you need to use them. So if it's a one-on-one situation, Brett, for you, I would look at what the purpose of where you're going to use stories are and then start to flesh out what those stories can be, whether they're your own personal experiences or their experiences of other clients or whatever it may be. But if you understand what you need to use them for, it becomes more obvious uh, what stories you need to, to start to cultivate and perfect and really learn how to tell. Got it. Great. And what else, Ty? I mean, again, you're, you, we are chatting a little bit before the interview started and you're going to do about a hundred keynotes this year. So, you know, that's, that's one every three days if you average it out. So you're out there a lot. You know, the show's called Where There's Smoke and, and from the idiom where there's smoke, there's fire. And so I, I always like to look at things and think, okay, well, this is what everybody else has seen. But there's some things underneath that people aren't seeing, or maybe they're not talking about, and I think they should be. Whether it's related to what we're talking about, storytelling or beliefs or something else, what do you see out there right now that, you know, that you feel maybe people aren't either aware of or maybe not giving it the amount of focus or importance that it might require? What I'm speaking on quite often now is I've got a new book I'm working on called Partnership is the New Leadership. And the basic premise behind that is I think just along those same lines, as technology continues to change the world, as our economy really has changed, as business is changing uh, because of many factors, uh, one which is a huge factor is is the incoming workforce of the millennials and and the younger generation and their ideals and what they want to do with their work situation and all of that. Because of that, leadership has to change as well. And the interesting thing is that I think it may seem counterintuitive to a lot of people, but because of that, leadership needs to become more personal. It needs to be more of a partnership approach in the way that you view that. And, and more than anything, I base that on the fact that when you ask leaders what they want from their people, what we really want is we want commitment out of our people, right? I mean, we want them to be truly committed. That may come across in terms of loyalty or work ethic or whatever it is, 
but ultimately people are, are not committed to jobs or companies, they're committed to people. And so along those same lines in terms of the soft skills that we develop, I think our leadership style and approach has to change with the changing times as well. And that's one thing that I, I'm speaking on a lot and I, I'm finding that more and more people are starting to realize that and it resonates extremely well. But it's, it's that same token that leadership actually has to become more personal today than it once was. And uh, just, just like the soft skills of storytelling and the ability to communicate and connect, all of those things just become more and more vital. So maybe linked to that, maybe not. Um, I always like to ask this question. If there was one piece of wisdom that you could share with our audience, and you knew that they would take it to heart, what would that be? That's a great question. Uh, the underlying premise for me is th that I view as one of the reasons that I've been able to find success and one of the reasons that I hope to continue to find success and more than success, really fulfillment, is that it's not about you, it's about other people. I think that, that, that principle for me has been so universally applicable. As we talk about storytelling, it's about the people listening and it's not about you, right? It's always about your audience. If you're in leadership, that's the case. If you're in sales, that's the case. If you're a teacher, it's about your students, whatever the case may be. I have found that the more I focus on other people and the less I focus on myself and my needs, the better I am for it. Well, that seems like a an excellent message to uh, to end on. So as we wrap this up, Ty, where can people find you? I mean, obviously, we've mentioned a few of your books. I know you're out there speaking. If people were you know, curious to learn more from you or learn more about what you do, where would they go? Just to my website, tybennett.com, T-Y-B-E-N-N-E-T-T.com. Great. And I will uh, link to that in the show notes as well. And I'll link to, uh, to the books and everything else we've talked about. I think we brought up a few different books. So I'll make sure I link to all that stuff for everyone. And with that, Ty, I just want to thank you for, for taking the time today. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Really, really valuable stuff. And I, I look forward to our, uh, our listeners hearing it. Well, thanks. It's been fun. Well, that is almost the end of the episode, but obviously just the beginning of the story. If you liked getting a peek behind the curtain of where there's smoke in this episode, then you may enjoy a long-form interview I did this past week for the Build Be Have podcast. I turned off the filters, I talked candidly about where their smoke came from, I talked about the journey of losing my dad when I was 18 and its relevance today, and we traveled through a ton of material and insights over about 50 minutes. The interview will actually go live on Monday, February 23rd. So if you're interested, go subscribe to Build Be Have Podcast now so that you don't miss it. I wanted to give my first shout out to listener Boston Blake for his suggestion of a question that I have now used in my last two interviews. If you have any ideas for great questions, head over to our website at wherethersmoke.co and leave us a voicemail. I'd love to hear your suggestions and I'd love to use them. Thank you to everyone who took time this week to review the show on iTunes or Stitcher. A few other shout-outs, uh, Michael Neely, KDCO, thank you for your reviews, and Christine the Swede, our first written review on Swedish iTunes, and Aaron Feefield, our first Australian review. You know, our stats show that we have people listening to multiple episodes in at least 20 countries, which 
first of all, is amazing. And secondly, if you're out there outside of North America, please take a few minutes to go to iTunes in your country and give us a five-star rating and leave a review. It makes a huge difference in helping us get this passion project to more listeners. And if you do that, let us know you did. You know, drop us an email at connect at where there's smoke.co. Leave us a voicemail on our website. Tweet me at Brett Gaida. Let us know you left a review and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Uh, while you're at the website, you may want to join our mailing list. My partner, Nick, is uh, actually instituting a new policy here. He's decided that every time someone new signs up for our mailing list, we're going to email them a picture of what we're doing at that very moment. Now, this seems unsustainable long term to me. So uh, go sign up now and be a part of the fun. You can do that on our website. You can also do that with your phone right now. Just pull it out and text the word SMOKE to 66866. You'll get a text back asking for your email. Uh, provide that and you are in. Either way, uh, you join our mailing list. There is a 19% chance you're going to get a picture of me eating a burrito and a 34.7% chance you'll get a picture of Nick drinking a Cherry Coke Zero. Okay, a couple more cool things here, but before I get to a very special shout out, our episode clip award and a scene from one of my favorite movies, let's just get these credits out of the way. Where the Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Guida, and produced and edited by Nick Jaworski. If you want your podcast to sound as awesome as this one does or have questions about the medium, reach out to Nick at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin McLeod. To see the show notes, which include links to all of the clips used in each episode and links to anything else we reference in the show, go to wherethersmoke.co. All right, so the episode episode's sexiest clip award goes to Scarlett Johansson as Samantha, but only because we ended up editing out Meg Ryan's fake orgasm from When Harry Met Sally in the final cut. So, Meg, you're on the cutting room floor, but you are no less sultry to me. And I wanted to give a personal huge shout out to the unofficial sponsor of this week's episode, Theraflu. Seriously, Theraflu. I don't know what they put in that stuff, but I think it could raise the dead. And I've been under the weather. I'm still under the weather as I record this. And without those lemony mugs of liquid, I don't know if I would have got through. All right. So look, if you're listening right now, you're still listening to this. We love you because we pour ourselves into every episode of this show and not just the opening part or the parts we think are key. We think everything's key and we pour ourselves into every second all the way to the end of each week's story, hoping that when we close the book, and we get up to leave, your feelings are a bit akin to these. The end. Now I think you ought to go to sleep. All right. So long. Grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. As you wish. So thank you for sticking around to the end. And as you wish, we'll do it all again next Tuesday. Take care.